Welcome to Confessing the Faith, a podcast devoted to discussions concerning Christian doctrine and the Christian life. My name is Mike Tizier, and I am joined again today by Joe Anady. Hey, Joe. Hey, Mike. Well, today we're talking about membership, and really we're just going to get into the big question of, is membership biblical, right? Right. Is it biblical? Yeah, and also, uh, why does Emmaus have the process that it does have? I guess assume there is the thought that it is biblical, first of all, but we need to talk about both those things. Yeah. Yeah. So let's ask the first one. Just what does Emmaus's membership process look like? Yeah, at Emmaus, we've uh, had for quite a while this um, process in place where, uh, as folks come uh, to the church, of course they they visit for a while. Sometimes people are there as visitors for for quite a while. Actually, we're not super um, in a rush, you know, to have them progress through the membership process. Some are interested in doing so right away. Others want to um, just kind of settle in and get to know the church uh, before even addressing that issue. And that's, that's just fine. Um, but the process looks like this. We uh, just have a number of what we call foundation documents that we want people to be exposed to. There are other foundation documents that are not exposed in that membership process. People can dig in if they'd mm-hmm. like to those on their own. But um, I'm trying to do this from memory right now. Um, we want for people to uh, look over our brief statement of faith. It's a few pages long. Uh, you know, that is there just to give a real quick a summary of, of core beliefs. Uh, we want for people to look at um, our bylaws, which I always joke and tell people that those will put you to sleep at night if you want to read those. It's just kind of the, the <laughs> legal workings of the church, you know, how, how the church is organized and um, how the church is to operate. And so it's kind of a technical document. But there's some very important stuff in there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it's important, uh, you, right, but uh, some very important stuff having to do with uh, actually the place of members, um, you know, uh, the, the officers of the church, elders and deacons, how they're appointed, and so on and so forth. So uh, we want people to look at that. Also, we have a short little piece uh, entitled Emmaus Distinctives, And so there's just a a number of bullet points there that kind of highlight things that might make us a little bit distinct from some other churches in the area or or in the country or whatever. Um, And then uh, we do want people also to look at the church covenant, which is a document they would sign at the very end of the process, but we want them to see it at the beginning to kind of know what things are progressing towards. Um, There's forms for them to fill out, of course, questionnaires, all of that stuff. And then ultimately, though, the heart of the issue is this, though. We go through the London Baptist Confession together. So everything I just mentioned is usually covered in one meeting between uh, usually an elder and a prospective member. Um, But then we take two more meetings to discuss the London Baptist Confession. First of all, the first 16 chapters of it and then the second 16 chapters of it. You know, and so that's the the content of it, and really the idea is what all of that content would do is provide an opportunity for meaningful conversation, right? right. You know, so that um, the prospective member or members have an opportunity to get to know the leadership of Emmaus Christian Fellowship and the church in general, in a hopefully substantial way, and then also so that the elder who is conducting the membership process can get to know the prospective member. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, to me, a very enjoyable um, process. Um, it, it it never 
one process never goes like another, you know, they're all unique. Um, everybody's bringing different things to the table they have different questions. They have different interests. They have different backgrounds. And so it's kind of cool to see that, yeah, there's those constant elements, those documents, but those documents bring out, bring out all sorts of different mm-hmm. things, you yeah. know, and, and, and that's the idea. Um, uh, just to have a process in place that we consistently walk through uh, to give us um, an opportunity to get to know folks and for them to get to know us. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I personally really appreciate the specificness of our membership process, thinking through the, that, you know, each person that goes through it is going to know everything about the church before they become a member. Um, you know, so they're going to know exactly what Emmaus believes. They're going to know uh, on, on all those topics that we believe strongly on. So it's not going to be, nothing's going to be a surprise down the road. Shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't be. <laughs> no, it, well, so, yeah, it's it's all out there yeah. uh, from, from the yeah. outset for sure. Uh, not only doctrine, but also practical issues of administration. And I, think, and I think people going through the membership process really appreciate that too. Yeah. And, and you know, one thing... Uh, one benefit, I think, to going through the membership process like this, where it's an elder with one or two or three prospective members, um, it kind of gives us the opportunity to tailor the the process to um, the the person in terms of where they're at in their theological understanding. And what I'm getting at here is, if, if anyone has ever read the London Baptist Confession, you know, there's some pretty heavy doctrine in there. And so for someone who's fairly new to the faith, you know, they're going to read the London Baptist Confession on, on a certain level, and we're going to be able to take them through it on that level, you know, and expose them and point out the, 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 the pertinent things in it. Um, uh, but for someone who has, let's say, been to seminary or something like that, they're probably going to read the confession on another level. And so it just gives us an opportunity to, to tailor the process to the individual. And so it might be that someone comes into the church and they've been exposed to these doctrines, but they don't understand the full significance of them until years later or something as they continue to take classes and grow in their understanding of these things. But yeah, that's the process. That's just a real quick overview of it. Um, at the end of it, I should say uh, that the pers- the, the prospective member is asked to sign the membership covenant. Uh, they're to apply for membership. The elders are to approve that. And then they're presented to the, the congregation as a prospective member and then we uh, give a month for folks in the church to get to know them if they don't already. Um, and then uh, if there are no questions or objections to it, we formally receive them into membership. And I, I would imagine that last little bit might sound strange to some people. Like, you know, what what is this all about that the person is presented before the body and they're supposed to be inspected or whatever? Well, I think it's very important that when they're actually finally received into membership, they're being received not just by a pastor. Mm-hmm. It's not just one elder who's put their stamp of approval on on the thing, you know, but rather it's the whole congregation who has heard their testimony. They, they write out their testimony and we present it to them on- online. Uh, the whole congregation has an opportunity to get to know them. And, and so it's the whole church that receives right. the person into membership, you know. Well, what is the rationale behind all this all this process and our membership process? Well, we'll get to this, I guess. We, we believe it's a biblical thing to um, bring folks into membership. The rationale behind this process is we think it's very important to bring folks into membership in a, in a careful way, a very intentional way, so that as the church grows, as it is built, it's built carefully. You know, foundations need to be laid and... Um, uh, 
they need to be laid, not just for the church in general, you know, something we did back in 2011, you know, or something like that, but they need to be continually laid with each new member of the church. You know, those foundational things need to be addressed so that the church grows in a healthy way. Also, this membership process does protect the church too. You know, you need to know who's coming in. Um, It protects the church in a way because here these folks should be known pretty well by the time they're brought into membership. And and I think it's just good for the folks coming in too because they need to be brought up to speed also. You know, there's no sense in taking them through some real um, simplistic and shallow membership process to where they're just sort of lost in regards to where the church is at and where they've come from over the years or something. Yeah, that's the rationale. Well, great. Well, we mentioned the question of is membership biblical, and so let's let's address that. Where in the scriptures do we see a warrant for establishing a membership process like this? Well, yeah, sometimes I'll hear objections to that, you know, the idea that this isn't even biblical. We are just um, uh, members of Christ's body by faith, and that's all there is to it. You know, and baptism is the only thing you see in the scriptures that has to do with the in- entrance into the covenant community and the Lord's Supper and all of that. And there's some truth to all that. I mean, we are members of Christ's body by faith. Uh, this is a spiritual thing. It is true that baptism uh, symbolizes our union with Christ. Um, and when we are baptized, we are obviously baptized into a local church uh, by by a pastor, you know, and, and into a local church. And the supper is also very important. These are these are true things. These are ordinances of the church. But um, we also have to recognize that um, Christians are to join themselves to local congregations. This is very clear in the New Testament. Uh, yes, so an individual's faith matters, um, but that individual is to then walk uh, in the context of, of a local church. Uh, this becomes very evident when you see the way that the apostles of Christ responded to the great commission that was given to them. They didn't go out and preach the gospel just as individuals in order to make individual converts, but what they did is they preached the gospel as individuals to make individual converts to Christ, and then they planted churches, right? I mean, these individuals were were then to be placed within a community of faith. We, We call it a church. They were to gather together regularly. Um, Hebrews 10.25, I quote this often, that Christians are not to neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but they're to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so there's to be this assembling together um, in Christ. And so this implies that local churches are to be formed. There's to be this, this, this body sort of life. We are members um, of one another. In Christ Jesus, Paul uses that imagery, doesn't he, to describe what a church is like. We are members of one another, um, and the foot does not say to the hand, I have no need of you kind of concept here. Um, I think also we're to notice that um, the New Testament has quite a bit to say about officers within the church. Um, Sometimes... They're called elders, pastors, bishops, overseers. You know, there's there are different names to describe the first office I'm referring to to here, which is the office of pastor or, or shepherd. You know, um, and also there are deacons. Um, in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, we read that the Christians are to obey their leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over 
your souls, it says, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, so the writer of the Hebrews is instructing individual Christians to uh, to submit to their leaders, uh, to obey them, to show honor to them, because they have responsibility over them. Now, that fact there, the fact that there are leaders who are responsible for individual Christians implies that there is a local church, right, uh, and that you're to take membership in that local church seriously to where you are in some sort of formal way a part of it, to where you are recognized as one member of that local church that the leader is to keep watch over. You know, He knows that you are his responsibility and you know that he is your leader. Right, And so all of that implies that there's to be some process in place where that relationship can be identified and established and maintained. You know, Those things don't just happen spontaneously and automatically. Those relationships are not just formed spontaneously or automatically, but they have to be formally ratified. Does that make sense what I'm saying yeah. here? Yeah. Um, so I think just the fact that there are pastors and elders and that there are people that those folks are responsible for, it implies some sort of membership process of making that relationship explicit and obvious, mm-hmm. and, you know. Um, I think it's important to uh, even just notice that there are a couple of books in the New Testament, a few of them, that are written specifically to pastors, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And there we see a kind of job description given to pastors. You know, that pastors, your, your job is to teach, your job is to pray, your job is to shepherd the flock that is, you know, among you. Um, Your job is to keep watch on your own soul. Your job is to defend the faith. You know, there's all sorts of things mentioned here in these books, but the fact that these books exist insist that the Christian faith is a communal faith. It, It is a faith that is lived out in the context of a local church where there are pastors and elders, you know, deacons, and a congregation there has to be some way of, of, of forming that community and making those relationships between officers and, and members um, fixed. It was pointed out to me recently through a book I was reading that the whole New Testament is a church book. You know, it's a church book. And I guess here I'm really confronting this idea that, well, I can be a Christian but not belong to a church. Christianity is, is, is corporate. It's a corporate religion. The New Testament is a church book. And what I mean by that is that most of the letters in the New Testament were written to local churches. So it's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus or writing to the churches in the region of Galatia. You know, uh, the book of Revelation is addressed to seven local churches in Asia Minor. You know, the book of Acts was not written to a particular local church, but it's a book all about the establishment of the church. Paul's letter to the Romans, on and on we go. If it's not written to a local church, it's written to pastors of those churches. And so for those who say, well, you know, I can be a Christian but not belong to a church, it's like you're just missing this this, this this principle that permeates the whole New Testament, that the Christian life is to be one that is lived out within the context of a local church where there are pastors and there are deacons and there are members. Right. And what I'm getting at is that you have to have some way of making that relationship between pastor and member known. Right. You know, it, it doesn't just... 
I don't know, appear out of thin air. It, but an attender is not just an attender, but someone that's going to commit to being, you know, there regularly or sure or submitting to the leadership of yeah. The you you are my exactly. pastor, and I'm a member of this church, and you have responsibility over me, and I have I have responsibilities and obligations towards you as the pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be some way of making that that known, and so you know. Um, some kind of membership process is necessary and it's deeply biblical, even though you can't find a verse that says thou shalt establish a membership process. It just, it has to be. <laughs> Otherwise these relationships can never really come to exist. There is one verse in Romans uh, at the end of it in chapter 14, where Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And so Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he is he's been dealing with this in his letter. There are some who are weak in faith; um, they have certain certain struggles. Uh, I won't get into that here as to what he's referring to, but he's telling the church you need to welcome that one, even though they're weak in the faith. You need to welcome them. And the word translated "welcome him" here is is actually a technical word in the Greek that has to do with see, receiving someone into a society. Receive that person. But not to quarrel over opinions. In other words, if they're weak in the faith, receive them, but do not receive them if they're quarrelsome, right? And so right here we do see some sort of membership process hinted at that there is there, – there is the, the responsibility of pastors and elders is to have a way of receiving people into the church but in a way that is careful, Right? So here are the pastors in Rome. They are to get to know this individual, to know that they are indeed weak in the faith, and they're to know them well enough to know that they're not going to be quarrelsome. They're not going to be troublemakers in the church. They're not going to be bringing in their weaknesses and disrupting the church, right? Um, There has to be a process to make Mm -hmm. um, sure that these are being received well into the local congregation, right? Am I being clear on this stuff? I'm kind of struggling through some of it for some reason, but... um, it's a very practical thing to, to think through that the concept of needing to have some way to distinguish who is part of a congregation or not. Right, yeah. So here, can you find a Bible verse that demands that you have a membership process? And is it stated explicitly? I would say no, but I would say that membership is just implied throughout the New Testament. It's implied that there are Christians who need to be received into these assemblies into these communities we call the church and there has to be some way of doing that Mm -hmm. and and i'll admit that the way we have decided to do it is not the only way you know it really isn't the way we have decided to bring folks into membership has a lot to do with our context you know Mm -hmm. who we are as a church who folks are around us where we live it it might look totally different somewhere else in the world you know Mm -hmm. Other cultures that struggle with different things, like in our American culture, we struggle with this individuality, like you mentioned. Sure, before. sure, it does a huge disservice to Christianity. But as in other places in the world, maybe they're such communal people that they don't struggle with that as much. So there's a, yeah, there's a right different, uh, different context. And so I'm not saying that our membership process is biblical in the sense that it, that in the sense that the scriptures mandate that we do it just like this. But what I'm saying is that a membership process is biblical, and then it's up to pastors and elders in the church to determine how best to go about this, given their 
given their context. And by the way, we're flexible with our process too. I, I said before that usually it takes three meetings, one to go over those first documents and then two on the London Baptist Confession. Sometimes it might need to take six. Sometimes we can knock it out in one, you know, um, if if the person is transferring from another Reformed Baptist church, you know, that's very familiar with all these things. I, I could see it only taking, a, you know, one, one or two uh, meetings, especially if they're coming, being highly recommended by the previous pastor and all that stuff. We're flexible. We're not saying this is the only way, but there has to be some process mm-hmm. in place, mm-hmm. right, for being able to say this person is our responsibility. Right. They belong here. They're a part of this church. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense, but we still have this. Uh, you know, you have people that are opposed to it. And so why, like, let's get into that more. Why are some churches and and Christians so opposed to formal membership? Um, I think some, when they hear the word membership, they think of a, a club which requires membership dues and which comes with certain perks, you know, or whatever. Yeah, you know, I, 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 a good parking spot. Yeah, or I'm a member at Saboba Country Club, you know, so I get to play golf there whenever I want. I have, like, a nice little locker in the clubhouse, and I pay a monthly fee in order to have those privileges. I mean, that's the, you know, right, that's the connotation that a lot of people have, but instead we're using the term membership in a biblical sense, that we are members of the body of Christ, and we each have unique gifts that we must use to contribute to the building up of this body, and Right, we're joined to Christ as members of of Christ, and we're joined to one another in Him. That's how we're using the term. But I think some just are put off by it, um, just by the term itself, because they think of it as as the world would. Others, I think, emphasize our spiritual and individual union to Christ to the neglect of the corporate nature of the faith. That's very common today. It's so common for people to assume the only thing that matters is my personal faith in Jesus and my personal walk with him and my personal Bible reading and my personal prayer. And all of that is wonderful, but you're you're neglecting so much of what the New Testament has to say about the Christian life. It is not just individual. It is is definitely corporate. Mm -hmm. It is corporate, and, and, and we need to recognize that some though have been burned in the past by other churches or by other Christians. And so they're just super hesitant to join themselves to a congregation. And we've seen this at Emmaus. Yep. People are coming in and, and you know, you could just tell it's like, don't even talk about the membership thing for a while and just let them get to know you and, you know, settle down in a church because they're coming from another church where they've just been badly wounded. And uh, so now they're struggling with, can I trust these people? Can I really commit myself to them and trust them? And to be honest, I'm very sympathetic towards folks like this. Um, You know, that's not a fun experience to be in a church and to entrust yourself to others and then to have them, you know, turn their back on you or something. So I I get this difficulty here. But what I would want to say to someone who's been burned in the past is, the solution is not to just go and isolate yourself. That's the easy way out, or at least it seems to be at first, but it's not the Christian way. It's not what Christ is calling you to. And in the end, it won't be for your good to go and isolate yourself. It will be mm-hmm. it will be to your destruction. And so you, you've got to push through it. You know, you've got to work through these trust issues, and you have to work to join yourself to a local congregation. Some are quarrelsome, too, and I've seen this also at Emmaus. I don't know if our folks 
really have seen it because folks like this don't typically stick around too long um, in, in a church where there is some sort of formal membership process because I think they learn rather early on that I'm not going to be able to have my way here in this church, mm-hmm. you know, because these safeguards are in place. But there have been folks who come and they visit, and it doesn't take long to figure out that they that they come wanting to have influence. They come wanting to um, press their agenda. And actually, I was at a church uh, planting conference um, just a couple of weeks ago, and this theme came up actually a few times, that um, when you're doing church planting, you have to be very careful of folks who are like this. You know, they want to come in and they want to have a place of prominence. And the comment was made, and I think it was very appropriate, and it rang true with me, that strange people have a way of finding new church plants. It it brings all sorts of folks out of the woodwork because here they are, they've struggled maybe in the church before and they've been run out of this church and that, but when they hear a new church is starting, they go, ha, maybe I could have my way there, you know, and and, and throw my weight around or something like that. And so, uh, you know, you have to be on guard against um, folks like that as a pastor, especially as one who is starting a a new church. But but I think for some, they're opposed to membership because really they have this quarrelsome spirit in them this individualistic uh, spirit in them, and they just don't want to submit to any kind of authority whatsoever. And so here they are making objections to formal membership because really they just want to, they want to be an authority unto themselves, you know, and so they complain about it. Um, I think some just want to attend church without having to be the church. Right. So that's probably a hugely common one right there. Yeah, and, and again, we've seen this where, where folks um, listen. I just want to, I want to clock in at ten a.m. on Sunday morning, and I want to clock out by not not eleven thirty, but eleven. <laughs> you know, I, I'm done at eleven. Wrap it up, Pastor, and I'm going home. And um, that's how I want to do my Christianity. That's how I want to do church. I, I want to be there on Sunday morning, but don't bother me. Don't you dare suggest you want to get involved in my life, you know, as a pastor or that others in the church want to get involved in my life. Just, you know, I'd, I'd prefer to keep my Christianity um, that way. I want, I want to attend but not be a part of it mm-hmm. in any sort of – that's so common in our culture as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think those are some reasons why individuals complain about formal membership. Um. But also, and this is the thing that saddens me more than anything, there's just a lot of churches who have abandoned this this whole practice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I can understand it if individuals have their complaints, but I think a, a church, the leaders of a church, ought to still insist upon the importance of this. Um, I think some pastors, though, are waiting to find that explicit command in Scripture, thou shalt... Uh, develop a membership process when, in fact, again, it's not explicitly there, but it's implied. Um, Our our confession, I think, is helpful in this regard. In chapter 1 of it, where the topic of the scriptures are being addressed, that the scriptures are a supreme authority for truth, uh, there's this little statement in paragraph 6 of chapter 1 that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence 
according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. And that's such an important principle here. It's the, it's the principle that the scriptures are our authority for truth, and the scriptures are explicit about an awful lot of things, things that we should do and things we should not do. But there are some matters that are left to um, Christian prudence, uh, wisdom. You know, uh, the, the Word of God gives us general rules for the carrying out of these things. So, for example, uh, the, the Word of God is clear that we are to gather together as God's people on the Lord's Day. What time, though, are we to gather together? Is it to be at sunrise? Because that's when the risen Christ was first, uh, you know, <laughs> seen as early in the morning the tomb was found. Yeah, so at what time? That changed very often. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess it would, right? Um, how many services are you to have on the Lord's Day? One, two, three? Um, um so the point I'm making is this, is that the general principle is there in Scripture. But um, again, I think we do have freedom to developing these membership processes according to um, wisdom and, and prudence. Um, so stop waiting for the explicit command and see that it is implied here uh, that the Christian life involves um, individuals walking in community where there are pastors and there are members of local churches. I think it, it all, it's very hard work, too, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. complaining. It's enjoyable work. It's one of my favorite things to do, actually, is to take folks through this membership process. But it, it just takes a ton of time, you know, uh, to meet with folks. And uh, um, again, I love it. I'm not complaining. But I, I wonder if people don't shy away from it for this it, it's just kind of easier to show up on sunday to throw, to throw the to throw the lights, throw the lights, lights on to have your worship songs to preach you know to sing some songs and to go home mm-hmm. right and, and uh to not worry about bringing people into membership and, and taking all the time to do that and to not have to worry about really maintaining that membership roster or keeping up with people and keeping right. watch over their souls. It's just, you know, how many people did we have in attendance on Sunday? That's what matters, right? How many heads were there? How many seats were filled? And so you have this constant, um, uh, you, you know, keeping of numbers. There were 150 people in the service today or something like that. But when you have a membership process, you have to do the hard work of bringing members in. And then, of course, the idea is that you do the hard work of maintaining that membership um, by being involved in these people's lives um, as long as they're there as members of that church. It, it's hard work. It's also very slow going. Um, having a membership process like this in place is probably not wise according to the church growth gurus. You know what I mean by that? I mean, you've been around the church long enough to know oh, what yeah. church growth gurus are. I mean, this does exist. There are folks who their whole job is to come and advise a church how to grow mm-hmm. fast, you yeah. know. But but to have a process in place where, you, what, you, you meet with individual people uh, three times and, and go through these doctrines yeah. with them, what are you, crazy? You're just going to, you know, bring this thing almost to a standstill in terms of growth in numbers. But um, But I think it's right. I think it's right for the church to to grow in this slow and careful way. Um, it involves personal relational ministry instead of programs. I've already kind of mentioned this. Um, it demands that you stay involved in these people's lives. And you brought this up, Mike, and I thought it was good a good insight. 
a membership process, when you have a membership process, it inevitably involves the establishment of standards or, or, you know, either doctrinal or ethical. And I think some churches in our day fear creating barriers of any kind. Right. Yeah. You know, to them, it's just um, come as you are, period. And I agree. Like our church doors should be open to anyone who would want to come and to hear the gospel. I totally agree with that principle. Yeah, that's not the issue. That's not the issue. Uh, Come as you are. Amen. Mm -hmm. And then repent and believe upon Christ. (laughs) Right? And and become a part of this church. Be baptized. Be a part of this church. Take the Lord's Supper. So, so you know, uh, but but I think for some churches, it's like there's an unwillingness to even draw that line. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an unwillingness to even say, come as you are, but repent. Come as you are, but be baptized. And, right? and, and just those standards for some are too much because they do end up excluding mm-hmm. some. It's just further evidence of our cultural influence in the church is that fear to offend anyone or fear to exclude anyone. And yeah. we, we sacrifice yeah. truth and and a lot of like benefits for being part of a church that people miss out on, especially in soul care, which this, you know, the idea of a membership process gives us such, gives you guys as elders, such, um, awesome, such an awesome opportunity to get to know people, get to know where they're at, uh, spiritually or theologically, all those things. Sure. So you're able to dive into further soul care with all that background knowledge already there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I just want to reiterate this. Uh, people are welcome at Emmaus, even if they don't believe, mm-hmm. even if they just want to come and say, and if they want to come Sunday after Sunday and just hear the word because they're curious, right? That's great. I, I mean, right. I mean, that's wonderful for them to mm-hmm. come and, and, and to listen, but it's a different conversation though. Um, when we start to ask the question, who is to be baptized? Who is to partake of the Lord's Supper? Who is actually a member of this church? Who has, and what are the standards for that? You know, we haven't really touched upon that. What are the standards for membership? Well, they are simply this that a person be believing upon Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So that they be Christians. Um, that that profession of faith be accompanied by um, a lifestyle. You know, a Christian lifestyle. Again, we're not calling people to be perfect. The scriptures don't do that. But what we're saying is there ought to be some sort of fruit of repentance, you know. So if a person says, I believe upon Christ, but he's cheating on his wife, then that's a problem, (laughs) obviously. Um, And that they have been baptized in obedience to the command of Christ. Uh, Those are our standards for membership. It's not that they agree with every point of doctrine wholeheartedly or that they understand every point of doctrine or anything like that. It, it, it's just that they, they know who we are. We know who they are. They're, they're Christians and they've been obedient in the waters of baptism and they're brought into the local church on the basis of that profession of mm-hmm. faith. Right. So, so that, inv- but see that involves a, some sort of standard. It's important that we draw the line at just the right place to draw it too far, you know, to, to demand, um, some kind of perfection would be inappropriate, but to draw it too far in the other direction to where the church consists of just, it's just the world, you know, it's mm-hmm. believers and non-believers all mixed up and we call this the church. That's not appropriate either. Appropriate either. And what, what a membership process does is it draws, it, it, do, it does draw a line. You have to do that, but you have to labor to draw it in just the right place. 
And it's this has been actually really a great time to have this discussion because as we've been as we've moved to Lord's Supper observance every week, for example, mm-hmm. those standards have come forth again too. Like, well, you know, inventing the table. Sure, those standards are very simple, similar to this that we're talking about right now, and so that just really helps to just kind of reiterate the importance of these things mm-hmm. when we're when we're fencing the table, even <clears throat> as you know. Yeah. Who, who is the Lord's Supper for? It, right. it, it's for Christians who are living a life marked by repentance, who are also a part of a local church. Mm-hmm. We, we invite go. people to who are visitors to partake of the Lord's Supper with us, provided that they are a part of another mm-hmm. like-minded congregation and they're visiting with us. We say, yes, we'll have communion together. Um, but if someone is coming in saying, I'm a Christian— and they're not a part of a church and they're only popping in once a year, I, I would think it's totally inappropriate. It's inappropriate for you to take the Lord's Supper because you're actually living in ongoing disobedience to the man of, to the command of Christ and that you are um, you are neglecting the fellowship. Mm-hmm. You're, you are neglecting this corporate aspect of the Christian uh, life. So yes, the Lord's Supper just kind of weakly reinforces everything we're saying here. Right, right. Um, Definitely. Okay. So... Well, must a must a Christian be a member of a local church? So, so you know, we've talked about what what membership is. We've talked about why we think it's biblical and why it is biblical. Um, and so, to be a Christian, must you be a member of a local church? I think it's still important for us to say: if you're asking, must you be a member of a local church to be saved? The answer is no. Okay, right. And that might sound strange. We're not adding to the law here. (laughs) (laughs) That might sound strange given everything I've just said. I mean, the whole thing has been about the importance of belonging to a local church. But but still, must a Christian be a part of a local church to be saved? I say no. It it is possible for someone to have faith in Christ, authentic saving faith, and to not be a part of a local church for whatever reason. I, I don't know what that reason would be. It could be that they came to faith in a part of the world where there is not a local church to be a part of, for example. It could be that they came to authentic saving faith and do not yet understand this, the importance of this, and therefore they just haven't enjoyed I don't know, whatever the reason may be. So, no, um, not in order to be saved. It is not a standard for, you know, for, for salvation. But the point we're making here is that it is right and proper. So that if a Christian is claiming to be a Christian and not a part of a local church, they should be confronted about that, you know, um, this is what it looks like to walk as a Christian in this world. You're not to be isolated, but you're to join yourself to a body of believers where there are pastors and elders, where there are deacons who are responsible for you, and you are um, uh, un- under their authority and under their care. Yeah. Well, what would be your advice to someone out there listening right now who is looking to join a church? The first step is to find a true church. And then the second step is, if possible, find a healthy church. And what I mean by that is, um, if, if if you wait to join a church till you, till you find a perfect one, you, you're never, you're never going to make it, right? I can't even say come to Emmaus, you know, to find that. I, I can't. It, we're, we're no, there's no such thing as a perfect church. There's people church. in it. <laughs> Yeah, there's people in it, and that's our that's our problem. But 
labor to find a true church, and, and it's important for us to define what a true church is. A true church is one where the gospel is preached, the word of God is proclaimed, okay, faithfully. Um, it's also a place where the sacraments are administered, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So where those things are administered properly. Uh, some have even said that another mark of a true church is a, is a church where there where church discipline is exercised. That might sound kind of strange to folks um, you know, who are not familiar with this, but I think the idea behind it is that a true church is one where pastoral care actually takes place. Uh, it is not that a true church is a true church because they're bringing someone forward for the most severe form of church discipline every Sunday. That's not the idea, but it, it's where pastors are pastoring and where the members of the congregation are involved in one another's lives in such a way where there's actual relationships there, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some debate as to if the marks of a true church are simply the proclamation of God's word and the administration of the sacraments, or if the idea of discipline should be included there. But I think you get the point. You're, you're to try to find a, a congregation where where um, the word of God is really being taught and where the church is operating according to what the word of God says, you know. Now, you might find one, and then you might find that, man, this church, uh, yeah, they got some issues, <laughs> you know. I, I would say if there are no other options, then you need to kind of put up with those issues, right? Yeah. There might be some division in the church at that time, or um, it may even be that you go and you're like, the music is horrible. Get over it. <laughs> Honestly, that's one of the things I would say is is probably invert your list, you know, here's what I'm looking for in the church. Here's what the list looks like. Well, actually, you tell me, Mike. What does the list look like for for people for for Americans when they're looking for oh, a, a new church? Yeah. Um, friendly faces. Okay. Um, great sounding music. Yeah, good music. Uh, an enter- entertaining pastor that has some good jokes. It has to be funny. Uh huh. A seat in the back. <laughs> a seat in the back. Just like uh, slipping on notice. Like a really good children's ministry program. Yes. Is you yes. there? Uh, and then. Oh, yeah, the whole um, they teach the truth thing, right. and they take the Lord's Supper and baptism seriously. That's like, you know, 20 and 21 down there on the list or whatever. But I know we're being sarcastic here. Maybe that's not right. I don't know. <laughs> but but really, I would say invert that thing and look, first of all, for a church that is teaching the truth, really working to preach and teach the Bible. Now, that assumes you have some familiarity with, with the gospel, with the Bible, to be able to identify what that is, and that's a whole other issue. But labor to find a church that's teaching truth where the sacraments are being administered properly. Um, and then seriously, if the music is terrible and there's no children's ministry program, okay, find a true church, you know, mm-hmm. find a true church. Uh, those other issues are really not marks of a true church, but if possible, find a healthy one. And what I mean by that is that um, in America, at least there's usually a lot of options for churches. And so, how much better if you can find one where they're doing a lot of other things well too, mm-hmm. where right. the church is yeah. at peace and the teaching is good teaching and there is um, an enjoyable worship experience and there is outreach that is taking place and uh, there are ministries available to you and to your family that would help you to grow. I mean, all of that's good, mm-hmm. but it's not essential, right. you know? Right. And so my concern is that people hold off on joining a church because they, well, this one's not perfect. Well, none of them are. And my other concern is that people constantly jump into some of these churches that have all the bells and whistles, but they have no substance. Why, why are you doing that? Like, right. like, just go to the church on the corner over there that has 20 people in it 
that they sing a cappella, you know, and they teach sound doctrine. Do that and stop going to these other churches that have the full-on rock band and the lights and the fog machines, mm-hmm. but yet there's just nothing of substance there. Why, why are you choosing these things mm-hmm. the way that you are, you know? And often, I mean, often those churches are too big to have any meaningful community as well. I right. Mean, there's that too. Well, yeah, it becomes a thing where it's almost as if uh, your only option is to check in at 10 o'clock and, and leave at 11 or 11.15. And, uh, you you know, in regard to relationships with the pastors, it's just not going to, it's not going to happen. Right. They're preachers and not pastors. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, um, and it sounds like I'm totally biased against any larger churches. That's really not the case. I think it is possible to have a, a, a fairly large church and to still run things well. I'm not totally biased against large churches, but I think you get the... It's just the the purpose of, like, the mission of ministry that we're talking about, really. It's sure, different, I, yeah. Different um, approach to... It's a different approach. Yeah. Is it is it program-driven or is it really mm-hmm. gospel-centered and, and, and people-oriented, that kind of thing? Those are two different approaches, so... What would be some resources you would recommend to just further our knowledge on this topic? I think it would be good for Christians to have some idea of the doctrine of the church, Absolutely. what it is. That's a big starting point right there. Like study it, you know. Um, I, I wrote down the the last name Milne. I don't know how to say his name to this day. That's how I would assume. Milne. But. <laughs> I use it in discipleship, Bruce Milne. Um, he has a little systematic theology called Know the Truth. And it's brief enough and it's accessible enough to where it's good for, for um, discipleship groups. But he has a good, solid section on the church. You know, pick pick up a systematic theology and start reading on the doctrine of the church. Now, of course, there are going to be some systematic theologies where the doctrine of the church is, is horrible. So, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, Milne, I, just some well-known names. I, I think Grudem is probably good on the church too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean— Hey, what church should I join as a member? Well, you need to know what a church ought to be. Yeah. First absolutely. of all, I've actually recommended to some folks that they just crack open their Bibles and they read First and Second Timothy and Titus, being mindful of the fact that it's it's written to pastors. It's a job description of pa- for, for for pastors. And then ask yourself the question: Is this pastor doing what I see here? That's written really written yeah. in the New Testament, you know, or is he preoccupied with everything else except what is written here? You know, and uh, I mean that that takes work, it takes study, it also takes some uh, initiative, you know, in terms of the prospective member getting to know uh, the pastor, what's going on in the church. But you, you know, do that. Um, there was a nice little book written a while ago that I haven't read in quite a while, but I remember it being good, called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church." And I forget who wrote it. Maybe Mark Dever. Um, I think it's kind of a book written for pastors mainly, but it could be helpful in this situation here. What what, what does a healthy church look like? Again, the danger of it could be that you you spend all your time looking for a really healthy church or even a perfect church when really you need to find a true church and join yourself to it. Um, but that could be a helpful book. And then I came across a really nice book um, recently called Jesus Loves the Church and So Should You by Earl Blackburn. Uh, Our men are going to go through it. I think our ladies will probably also go through it too after that. Um, But really helpful. The the subtitle is Studies in Biblical Churchmanship. So it's not really a, a systematic theology on the doctrine of the church as much as it is written for 
church people, helping them to understand what it means to be a member of a congregation and mm-hmm. what what the requirements are of that, uh, the expectations are, I guess. So can I read you just some um, of the chapter headings here? There are 18 chapters, and they are all very brief. Jesus loved and still loves the church. The New Testament is a church book, so you see where I was exposed to that little comment I made earlier from this book. Uh, what is the church, the, the universal and the, vi- the church visible? The church universal and the church visible. So this is the doctrine of the church here being discussed. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just presented very simply. The centrality of the church in redemptive history, this is making the point that uh, biblical religion has always been a corporate thing. Uh, what are the marks of a true church? What is the purpose of the church? Is membership in a church biblical? Is membership in a church essential? Why should you join a church? Which church should you join? What are the means of grace in the church? What are the privileges and blessings of church membership? What are the responsibilities of church membership? Is church attendance really important? What are the requirements of church membership? How is a Christian admitted into membership? And how is membership terminated? When is it right to leave a church, and how should it be done? And then thoughts upon the church of those who've gone before. So um, I haven't read every page of this book super carefully, but I've read enough of it to know that uh, it's it's in the right direction. It's good stuff, so I commend it to you. That's it. That's all I got. All right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Christianity is corporate. Christians are to walk in local churches, which are made up of officers and members. Let's get to it, I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to this episode of Confessing the Faith. And then until next time, abide in Christ. Mm-hmm.